Welcome to Tashma, the podcast where you get to listen in on Hadar's Beit Midrash. I'm Rabbi Avi Killip. On Shabbat, we are commanded to rest. But what does that mean? In her lecture, Beyond Prescription and Prohibition, Making Shabbat Your Own, Shabbat of the Mind, Dina Weiss moves beyond prohibitions of physical labor to discuss spiritual work and rest. She considers what it would be like to feel whole on Shabbat. Let's listen in. So just to bring us all back to um, where we were from last week and the week before, Right, so we have these verses in Yeshayahu and Isaiah that touch on the elements of Shabbat that are not strictly, right, what you may not do, right, and get to Oneg Shabbat and Kavod Shabbat, which we talked about in the last two weeks, right, when we talked about Oneg Shabbat, we focused on things that you do to make Shabbat feel a little bit better, a little bit fancier, a little bit of a step up, right, and we talked about sort of the radical subjectivity subjectivity of that, right, where even though the dominant um, expression of Onik Shabbat is eating better food, for some people actually fasting, right, is considered Onik Shabbat. Um, and the last week we spoke about Kavod Shabbat, which is really about um, setting aside Shabbat and having Shabbat feel different, right, and one of the ways in which we, you know, really make Shabbat feel different and make ourselves right, feel different on Shabbat is that we take off our uniform of the weekday and we put on our Shabbat uniform, take off our, you know, doctor so-and-so clothes and then step into our Rifael clothes, right? Where what we're really um, being is our most spiritual selves. And there is, um, you know, a really beautiful way to do that through having something special that you set aside for Shabbat or that you use to honor Shabbat. And whenever you wear that, right, you both testify to and express your honor of Shabbat and that sort of makes you a part of, right, the profession of, of Shabbat, which is just, you know, that, that's, your, that's your only job. Your job is to be um, a Shabbat honorer. And today we're going to be talking about, you know, what in some ways is the hardest um, element of Shabbat, and that is that there are a lot of texts that talk about talking, right, that there is davar speech, right, that you're not supposed to, you know, talk about weekday matters on Shabbat. Right. I would say that people do an excellent job with Onik Shabbat. Everybody eats a little bit better on Shabbat. People do a pretty good job with Kavod Shabbat. A lot of people have something special, you know, that they wear on Shabbat or that they do on Shabbat that makes Shabbat feel different. But this third element of sort of controlling what you think and what you say um, is much, much harder. Um, and it's actually my conversations about this um, about this third element, right? That actually is what you know really made me understand that for a lot of people, um, the experience of Shabbat can be oppressive, and it's it's more anxiety producing um, and more anguishing when not only are, is is it difficult, but you're sort of being told, well, it's not supposed to be difficult, right? Um, you're supposed to really be. Um, you know, not complaining and not thinking about the weekday, um, when on Shabbat, there's kind of like tons of space to think, right? And there's tons of time to talk. And these activities um, are really being monitored. Um, so we are going to go to our little breakdown of the sessions, right? Session one, Shabbat is hard because of economic pressures. I need to work, right? So Oneg Shabbat comes to kind of, um, you know, step in and say, well, actually, you know, give a little bit more into Shabbat Treat yourself a little. It's actually going to it's going to end up working out in the end. Um, Shabbat is hard because 
I like to work, right? Work is in my identity. Um, and then the sort of goal on Shabbat becomes to step out, right, of your professional identity as much as possible and step into your spiritual identity, which at least one day a week um, is a keeper of Shabbat. Today's session is going to focus on Shabbat being hard because it can be anxiety producing. Um, I think for a lot of people, Shabbat is anxiety producing for probably one of three reasons. Um, one reason is people have anxiety, right? And then on Shabbat, you don't have all of the, you know, general tools that you use to kind of distract yourself, right? You can't check Twitter. You can't call and email your friends. You kind of are like sort of stuck with yourself. Um, and if, you know, being stuck with yourself is not so easy, right? That can cause a lot of anxiety. Another element that makes it anxiety producing, um, which we talked about in session one and session two, is that actually Shabbat can be a time of a lot of competition, right? Where you sort of compare yourselves to other people. That's when you're invited into other people's homes and see that their homes are bigger and cleaner than yours is, right? And their Shabbat meal is fancier than yours. And there can be this, this sense of comparison. Um, and I think the third way in which Shabbat can be um, really hard, particularly if you are, you know, someone who is very religious, is that it's very hard to keep Shabbat. Like it's technically very hard to keep Shabbat and we're not going to go into it too much. But if you look at top of page three, and this is the Yosef, who's a commentary on, on the stories in the Talmud. Um, and he says, because keeping Shabbat from all intentional sins is very difficult as the Rambam wrote, like tying and moving and walking and talking unnecessarily until just moving your hands or bending your knees and articulating with your lips make you likely to sin, right? So there's actually, if you ever learn Hechot Shabbat, if you ever learn the laws of Shabbat in depth, you know, you could really find an argument to say that everything is prohibited. Um, whenever my students ask me, you know, do you want to learn halachim? I'm not really sure, you know, what I should, what I should start learning. I always say, you know, I don't want to oversimplify, but I could, you know, sometimes I say there's two types of, um, you know, people in this world, people who like to find out that everything is permitted and people who like to find out that everything is forbidden. If you're the total person who's learning halacha to find out that it really, everything is okay, it was really okay, learn halacha kashrut. You'll, it'll turn out that most of the things you thought were a problem if you did them by accident or not a problem. If you want to be, live in anxiety for, you know, a it was one day out of seven and, you know, find out that everything you thought was okay is actually really not okay, then you should learn Hachot Shabbat, right? And so, if, you know, the more um, immersed you are um, in understanding all the, all the nuances of the laws, the more you realize that it's just like, it's almost impossible, right? As the ACOCF is articulating here, um, to really keep Shabbat fully, especially if you're going to be liable for doing things by accident. Our, our world is a minefield. Um, of stuff that we're not allowed to do in Shabbat. Um, we're going to go very briefly into the first source, um, the Beit Yosef. Um, even when Yosef just said that thinking is permitted, if he has anguish in his heart or a pestering worry, it is forbidden. As it says, you shall do all of your work. And they said in the Mechuta, right in the Midrash Halacha, that it should be in your as if all of your work is done, right? We saw this um, in the Rashi in the first um, the first session together, and right, he's quoting this midrash, right? That when Shabbat comes, it should be in your eyes as if all of your work is done, meaning you shouldn't be thinking about it, right? There's this technical legal statement of 
we can't actually make you liable in any legal technical sense for a thought that you have on Shabbat. Right. So like if you, you know, you're working on a big project for work and, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night on Friday night and, you know, the perfect idea pops into your head. We can't penalize you for that. But ideally, you should not be thinking of yourself, thinking of yourself as being in the middle of your podcast, right, when you're on Shabbat. What it means to really step into this idea that it's as if all of your work is done, right, that means that you shouldn't have anything to worry about. Okay, so then when you do worry, you're disrupting the lovely of that all of your work um, should be done before Shabbat. Um, now, this demand, right, that the video safe is articulating, right, of course, is at the same time, like, extremely beautiful. We all want to step into a Shabbat and really step into this bubble where we feel like our work is totally done and completely unrealistic, right? How can you ever fully get to a place where you're so fully immersed in the play of Shabbat that you actually forget about all the things that are on your to-do list and that you can't do? I mean, you just sort of like imagine, you know, somebody asked you like, you know, oh, you know, what do you do? And you answer on Shabbat. Oh, I don't have any work. All my work has been done. Right. That's, you know, it's, it's extremely beautiful, but it's also extremely impressive. Um, so the last source that we're going to do today, um, the Maori Nayim um, is going to go into this idea of what you should or should not be thinking about on Shabbat. What? It really means to say, right, you should feel like all of your work is done on Shabbat. Um, and the Morinayim moves it from the sort of literal space of work project, crops you need to grow, deadlines you need to make, you know, all the things that you need to take care of that are work and professional related on Shabbat. And it actually moves it into the space of the spiritual, and I think does a really beautiful job of articulating right, the value of saying you should not be thinking about these elements on Shabbat, even if actually right, doing so is, is not doing so is impossible. You, you want to sort of hit the sweet spot of not totally forcing people to do something that they can't do. But on the other hand, we don't want to just say, oh, well, this is impossible to control one's thoughts. We're not even going to explore this idea. We're not even going to go into it. So we're going to go into it um, and we're going to see it from another vantage point. We're probably all in agreement that there's a limit, right, to how much we're actually in control over all of our thoughts um, and our worries on Shabbat, right? And as I said earlier, it's actually even harder sometimes to be in control of our thoughts and our worries on Shabbat because we don't have um, the distraction. And I have a policy, which is a personal policy, but it's also one that I you know, share with anyone whenever relevant. I say you never um, give someone really bad news right before Shabbat because then they spend the next you know, 25 hours just ruminating feeling really bad and getting, you know, all in their head. If you have to tell someone, you know, something bad, if you have to fire them, if you have to be with them, if you have to tell them they didn't get the job, if you have to tell them that somebody is sick, don't do it on Friday afternoon. Do it on Sunday when they have the ability to, you know, to distract themselves and not be totally sunk into 
right, the, the bad news that you've delivered. So if any of you are thinking of breaking up with your significant others, first of all, I'm sorry. Second of all, wait until after Shabbos. It's the last, you know, thing that you can you can do for them to really show that you care about them, even if their relationship is ending. Okay, I'm off my I'm off my soapbox for that. Okay. However, you shall keep my shalom. Right. So this, however, though it makes sense in context, rabbinically, we're going to say this, however, is unnecessary. Okay, whenever you have the language of ah, but or rock. Only, okay, these are exclusive terms. When I say, you know, everybody's invited to the party, but I don't like people who have long hair. Okay, so essentially what that but is doing, even though it isn't explicitly saying, do not invite people with long hair, they are not invited, because it's preceded by a but, right, you know that it's coming to exclude from the general list of invitees. Sorry for uh, such a snobby example. In fact, I have nothing against people with long So Rashi says, whenever it says, but or only, um, that comes to exclude, okay? And so here, what is the ach, the however, right? The but of however you shall keep my Shabbat come to exclude. It comes to exclude Shabbat from Malefa HaMishkan. That on Shabbat, we do not do the labor of the Mishkan, right? And anybody who is familiar with the laws of Shabbat, the prohibitions on Shabbat, right? Know that one of the dominant systems for talking about what is forbidden on Shabbat is, well, did they do it in the building of the Mishkan? If they did it in the building of the Mishkan, then it is kind of paradigmatically labor and we're not allowed to do it. But the Ramban asks in a famous question, okay, Maureen Naim said it's so famous, doesn't have to say who asked it. But the question is famous. To the contrary, this is an inclusion regarding Shabbat, right? If Shabbat is all about the labor, the physical labor that you're not allowed to do, when you say, but you shall keep my Shabbat and not do this kind of labor, that isn't making the scope of Shabbat smaller. That's actually making the, the scope of Shabbat larger. Okay, so the Maori Naim is going to try to figure out, right, what does it mean to say um, that we are excluded um, Shabbat from the labor of the Mishkan. Okay, it has to be something that is distinct from the physical labor that we already know is excluded. Okay, I'm going to say that one more time because it's a little bit technical. Rashi says, Shabbat, we don't do the labor of the Mishkan. And that's what Ach is coming to exclude. But the Ramban says, but that actually does not make the scope of Shabbat smaller. It makes the scope of Shabbat larger. Okay, so I need to have something that is sort of symbolized by the labor of the Mishkan, that is actually something that I thought that I was supposed to be doing on Shabbat. And now I find out that I'm not supposed to be doing on Shabbat. Indeed, the Zohar statement is known. We're going right into the Zohar. I know we're not even half an hour in. What is Shabbat? Shabbat is the name of the Holy Blessed One. Okay, what does that mean? For God is complete in all of God's dimensions. That's the end of the quotation. The more, and I am saying there's something about Shabbat, right, which is equivalent or testifies to, more accurately, God's total completeness. 
And since God is complete in all of these different ways of completeness, certainly nothing will be lacking, meaning nothing is going to be lacking on Shabbat. Okay, so the reason why it's so important right, for us to have an attitude of we don't build on Shabbat is because Shabbat is supposed to be parallel to God because they have the same name, right? And God is entirely complete. Right. And behold, one who does labor, it is because he needs that thing. And without it, he will be lacking. So he completes its lack through it. But Shabbat, which is complete in all of its dimension and is not lacking anything, does not require labor to complete any lack. Sorry that I used the language of lack so many times. Um, Therefore, our rabbi said that it should be in your eyes as if all of your labor is done. And there is nothing that is missing. Okay, the Morinaim is adding this little section about there being nothing missing. Right? If you remember, we had the quotation of the Mechilta before, and there it didn't say anything about lack. Right? But for the Morinaim, it's actually all about understanding that everything is complete and there's nothing missing. Because Shabbat is supposed to symbolize God. And God is not missing anything. And therefore, Shabbat is not missing anything. Okay. And if we were to be planting, fixing, building, right, we will be testifying to the opposite, right, that the world needs fixing, that there are things in our lives that are not yet done. Okay. So what he's done is he sort of shifted the preoccupation with everything being done by the time Shabbat begins from it being about me and my own personal achievements and what I was totally able to complete before Shabbat and to what my doing something that is lack filling, right? Would say about the nature of Shabbat and would say about the nature of God. I'm going to say that one more time, right? There's the sense that we are keeping of Shabbat is a testimony. When, when we keep Shabbat, we're saying something about what the world is or what the world could be. And the Morayim says Shabbat is supposed to be a testimony to who God is. And who God is, is not lacking anything. So we on Shabbat cannot do any labor because that would imply that there's something lacking. For behold, on Shabbat, the Blessed One's divinity spread. And is revealed in the children of Israel. And it is complete in all of its dimensions, in all of the different kinds of completeness. And if he were, that is the person who is trying to keep Shabbat, were to demonstrate the opposite, God forbid, it would indicate that he is not of them, right? That this person is not part of the children of Israel and that God's presence is not within them. So here is the part where it gets to you as an individual. If we really want to make the theological claim, which you may not personally, but the Morianium definitely wants to, if you want to make the theological claim that God is everywhere in everything and God is perfect and God is complete, okay, then on Shabbat, we can't say, oh, the whole world is complete except for me, right? We can't accept ourselves. EFC, right? We can't accept ourselves, take ourselves out of, out of the rule 
of that the whole world is complete. So we have to actually also understand ourselves and think of ourselves as being complete, merely because we participate in the world, merely because we participate in Shabbat. We're actually perfect, but because we are participants in God's perfection. And so now he goes on, and this is the part um, that I'm most excited about, and I hope you all are too. Um, and indeed, it isn't just normal, right, profane labor that is forbidden on Shabbat, but even the labor of the Mishkan. Okay, so now he's getting to this idea of there's something about the labor of the Mishkan that is not identical to the physical labor of building the physical Mishkan. And so what is it? Meaning that the Mishkan itself and even the labor of the Mishkan, right, are derivative of the idea that is in the verse, I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel. Right. Why does God need a mishkan? Why does God need a tabernacle, a dwelling place? He needs it so that he can live amongst the children of Israel. Okay, the literal sense of this, if you're just reading it in the context of the Torah, is there's a camp, and God's house is going to be in the middle of the camp. It's going to be betoch, ben Israel. It's going to be inside the collective, physical people of Israel. But the Moranaim is moving it to the next level where he says that the Holy Blessed One dwells inside the children of Israel. And the person needs to be a Mishkan to go. Okay, and so what does it mean to say that God wants you to build a Mishkan so that he can live inside B'nai Israel? It's not that God wants to physically be in a tent in the middle of your encampment. It's that God wants to be inside each member of the children of Israel, okay? And each person needs to make themselves a mishkan to God, okay? The building of the mishkan is the labor of making oneself worthy and ready to accept God's presence, to be a mishkan for God, to be somewhere where God can rest that the Holy Blessed One dwells inside the children of Israel. And the person, right, the individual person needs to be a mishkan to God. And if that person is not pure of the malady of their sins and is holding back the bestowal of the Shekhinah, okay, and he uses the language of if, but I think it's pretty clear that it's everybody, right? None of us are perfect enough to be a mishkan for them. But on Shabbat, the person should remove this matter from their heart that they should not become sad about it. Rather, they should just keep Shabbat appropriately and be happy before God because God is the desire of desires and joy. And it will be found that even the labor of the Mishkan, that he should do something that is necessary for him to be a Mishkan for God, even through this, he will decrease Shabbat. And that will be to exclude Shabbat even from the labor of the Mishkan for the need of the Mishkan, right? He essentially says, look, when we say you're not supposed to be doing the malachah of building the Mishkan, 
on Shabbat, what we mean is you're not supposed to be doing the spiritual work of trying to make yourself perfect on Shabbat. Okay, it's supposed to be a time where, right, just like we have this sort of illusion, this play of all of my physical work is done, and therefore I'm not doing any physical work in Shabbat. So too on Shabbat, you're supposed to do this excluding from Melechah HaMishkan. You're also supposed to free yourself from the spiritual labor of looking at yourself and examining yourself and seeing what you're missing. Okay, now he's going to talk in other places, which, you know, even if I were feeling well, we wouldn't see tonight about that on during the week, right, you actually are supposed to be doing labor and you are supposed to be addressing your flaws, right? But on Shabbat, you're supposed to be in this place where you're not addressing your flaws. Um, And I think, right, this gets into the idea of there needing to be some sort of vision of perfection so that you have something to aspire to, right? You need to know what you look like. When you are complete, you need to know what what you look like when you are fully in God's image to be sort of inspired um, and confident that you can do that work um, when the days of the week come. And so in some sense, there's this kind of cycle of, you know, during the days of the week, I examine myself for all of my flaws, but I don't become too depressed about it because I know that when Shabbat comes, it's all going to be as if it's done. Right, I'm going to have an opportunity to really engage in true spiritual rest. This teaching is, is providing for us, right, is an opportunity to, first of all, acknowledge right, that spiritual work is real work. That spiritual work can be unpleasant and spiritual work can be difficult and spiritual work can make us feel bad about ourselves. Right. And we need to have, you know, like safety measures in place to make sure that doesn't happen. Okay. And that Shabbat itself, because it's so difficult, right, in all these different ways, could move us more toward being hard on ourselves, being critical, you know, having the space to examine our flaws and feel really bad about ourselves. But the true work on Shabbat is to try to see ourselves, right, as the reflection of God. Um, and see ourselves as keepers of Shabbat and see ourselves as participants in this perfection and in this completeness. Our producers for this episode are Sam Greenberg, Jeremy Tabak, and Susan Pilevsky. Thank you to Nadav Remez for editing this episode. Additional editing by David Chavinsky. I'm your host, Rabbi Avi Killip. It's been a pleasure to learn with you. <laughs>